Hi Versus listeners! Before we begin the show today, I just wanted to let you know there's even more Versus out there if you're an Intelligence Squared member. Become a member of Intelligence Squared and you can receive early episodes of Versus and listen ad-free too. Visit intelligencesquared.com forward slash membership to join. Apple listeners sign up via the podcast app. Hello and welcome to Versus, the podcast that finally settles the little debates that are always a big deal to someone. I'm Coco Khan and this week for our very first episode, our someones are Yasmin Abdil-Majid and Roma Agrawal, two very clever brains, two engineers for whom mechanical marvels make the world go round. Yasmin Abdul-Majid is a writer, a broadcaster, a social advocate and one-time racing car engineer. Her upcoming book later this summer is Stand Up and Speak Out Against Racism and join Yasmin today is Roma Agrawal, also known as Roma the Engineer. Roma is a structural engineer. She's also an author and broadcaster. She helped build the Shard skyscraper in London and her latest book is Nuts and Bolts, Seven Small Inventions That Changed the World in a Big Way. It's pedal down in all respects today as we debate cars versus bicycles. Can I just say one last thing? No, you can't. When You're have done. you ever looked in it's a... Over. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> when have you ever looked at a bike and been like, oh, that is... Oh, sick. hell yeah. I've like, seen some sexy bikes. I mean, compared to a, com- yeah, but I mean, compared to a Lamborghini or a you know a Jaguar E-Type or an Aston Martin or even a Tesla, do you know? I'm just saying. Obviously, you need to get out there more and find those sexy bikes. <laughs> they're, they're waiting for you, Yasmin. They're waiting for you. But remember, which engineering feat comes out on top is up to you, the listeners. After each episode drops, we open up the polls for you to vote on our website. We'll announce the winner in next week's episode. So before we start with our expert guests, I want to crunch some facts. So we've come up with the most digestible format to feed tasty knowledge nourishment to our info-hungry listeners. That's right. It's our regular segment. It sounds like a breakfast cereal. We're running with it. It's Coco's Crunch. So first up, cars. The first practical iteration was the three-wheeled Benz patent motor car, model number one, invented in Germany in 1886 by Carl Benz of Mercedes-Benz fame. American Henry Ford innovated with the Model T Ford in 1908, creating mass production lines and our roads were never the same again. Of course, faced with environmental catastrophe, electric vehicles are the hope for the future. But while there's over a billion cars and roads, only 20 million of them are electric. Bicycles, they've been around in one form or another for hundreds of years, but it was another German, Baron Karl von Drace, who got things rolling with a pedal-free Drazine. That's right, he named it after himself in 1817. The contraption also goes by names such as the Dandy Horse and the Velocipede. Sounds like a dinosaur, but it is actually just a bike. Rides including the Penny Farthing with its signature absolutely massive front wheel followed, but it was the addition of air tyres that made the modern bicycle a game changer for getting around. Since then, we've gone up mountains, we've toured France, we're hanging about in the BMX park, and with e-bikes, it's clear that bicycles aren't going anywhere. Well, I mean, they're also going everywhere. Coco's Crunch. So let's start the engines and let's go to opening arguments. Yasmin, you're on team cars. Why are cars something we should still be marvelling at? Well, I think as an engineering invention or an engineering kind of advancement and development, the car is unmatched. I mean, as you sort of pitched there in your opening, you know, Coco's Crunchy Facts, I think you called it, which I love. Thank um, you for, uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, reiterating the brand name. It's very appreciated. <laughs> I look forward to the to the branded breakfast meal. Um <laughs> You know, the world has been irrevocably changed and built around the car. Now, whether we agree with 
how that sort of panned out, whether we agree with the automotive industry and so on, that is quite separate in my mind to the actual invention of the automobile. Because if we think about it, what preceded the automobile was the internal combustion engine. And what the internal combustion engine has allowed to happen in the world from simply getting people around further and further distances to being able to literally power trucks that are a vital and critical component of any logistics operation in the world to the fact that the cars allow people who might not be able-bodied, who might not be actually able to get on a bicycle, the ability to travel. I mean, I think that all of these things for me demonstrate the power and the impact of the car. Also, without the car, we wouldn't have the assembly line. You know, Henry Ford was famous for creating the assembly line. We wouldn't have many civil rights movements because the car actually enabled people to, you know, th- there was this quote when I was doing just a tiny bit of research, which sort of talked about without the automobile, the bus boycott, the Montgomery bus boycott would not have been possible because you can't ship or you can't move, you know, hundreds of people on bicycles in the way that you could with cars. It was a key part of feminist movements in that it gave women freedom to move around without being seen um, in ways that bicycles would not have allowed them and so on. And I mean, ultimately, yes, the bicycle is incredibly energy efficient in that you know almost 100% of the power that you put down on the pedal gets transferred into the movement. But on a bicycle, you're dependent on human efficiency, where in a car, what you're actually talking about is um, the efficiency of chemical energy from fuels, whether that's electricity or traditional fossil fuels like gas um, or, or petrol. And that just enables a transformative magnitudes larger change to happen. So that's the pitch for the car. Also, they just look good. They look good. Okay, it's that's strong some, stuff that's there. That's some fighting talk going on <laughs> yeah. there, Yasmin. Yeah, that's that's some, listen. You know, you know. I you, came with some facts. The pitch, the pitch could be just about why cars are awesome. No need to throw the bicycle under yeah. the bus, literally. <laughs> Um, but the yeah, let's, let's go. powered by an engine. So. <laughs> no, but I mean, Romo, you, you, you know, you, you've got some pretty good arguments for why the bicycle is actually also an engineering masterpiece, right? Right. So now I think that you can't separate the engineering from society because ultimately engineering is created by humans for other humans. So the impact that an invention has on society is intrinsically part of that piece of engineering. And so my argument with that is that, you know, yes, because cars yes, allowed people to move around, but bicycles did that first. And I'll, I'll come to that in a second. <laughs> um, it basically completely changed the way we design our cities, our urban landscapes, our urban architecture. It gave rise to the idea of the commute. It gave rise to the suburbs. Unfortunately, we've become so reliant on cars, which has completely changed our urban landscape, the architecture and the you know urban planning of cities. And we are dependent on fossil fuels in the majority for that. So now if I just come to the bicycle then, so the bicycle, I love simplicity. So I, I think two things that are key beauties of engineering are simplicity and the impact on humans. Okay, so two things. And the bicycle does both, in my opinion. So the bicycle is a really simple machine. Um, I actually find it really weird in a way that it took so long for us to sort it out, like properly. At least in the West, the first records that we have of it are in the kind of early to mid 1800s with Dreis, the German engineer that um, you mentioned, Coco, in your in your facts. And what, what I find really funny and interesting is that the wire wheel that we associate so much with bicycles nowadays were in fact invented for flying machines in the early 1800s. So engineers were trying to figure out how can we make our flying machines 
super, super light and the wire wheel was the answer. But it took a decade for us to figure out that actually instead of having two wheels on an axle, which is the, you know, the, the basic level that cars follow, somebody said, why don't we put one, feel, one wheel in front of the other instead? And they created this frame. Um, the original bicycle, the Lauf machine that Dreis invented, didn't actually have pedals on it. So it was a bit like the balance bikes that, you know, my toddler struggles with at the moment. But pedals and all that stuff kind of came later. And for me, one of the amazing things about the bicycle is that it allowed people, it allowed the masses who could not afford horse-drawn carriages, um, the early motor cars for whom traveling on their own without relying or paying a lot of money to somebody else was impossible. The bicycle opened up the world to them. Interesting to me that both of you have kind of similar arguments about your respective ones, i.e. it democratized transport for people, it changed the design of our cities, but there can only be one winner of those things, or at least that's mm. the premise of this debate. So, um, <laughs> Yasmin, you kicked off, so let's come back to you. In terms mm -hmm. of how the car has shaped our environment, in terms of uh, town planning, in terms of where we can go, the fact that like I, as a 35-year-old in 2023, have been to more places than pretty much anyone in my lineage ever has ever been. Let's hear about you, you, the positive case for the car in terms of uh, our world. So... Driving across France might take you a couple of days max. We famously know that cycling across France, even if you're some of the best cyclists in the world, will take about a month, right? So the kind of distances that you can cover in a car are just vastly, vastly different to what's possible on a bicycle. And I think the freedom that that allows. And again, you know, I sort of brought up the shipping and the transport example. And part of the reason I bring that up is because when we think about the structure of trade um, across land, like engines, whether we think of an internal combustion engine or the electric motor, which is now powering quite a lot of cars or the sort of hybrid situation um, of internal combustion and electric motor. I mean, you wouldn't be able to transport the amount of goods across land with bicycles in the way that we have. And so the, the 20th century would not have been able to happen and to unfold in the way um, that it has. Now, of course, anyone listening to this will be like, well, yes, you know, do we like the, the fact that our big cities are full of cars and full of traffic, like being in LA or Mumbai or even London during a rush hour, which feels like all of the hours sometimes, feels maddening, right? And I, I completely appreciate and understand that. But I think those are designs not always made by, those are design choices, I should say, not always made by the engineers. And we could have made different design choices. And also, once you include like the profit motive and so on, these choices were not necessarily a direct result of the design of the car, but a result of, you know, how companies wanted to benefit and to, to sort of capitalize and have more people owning more cars and so on. So I think they may be correlated, but the car did not cause all of these things to happen. Also, frankly, I grew up in the suburbs. I grew up in the city that I was living in far away from the center and the car and the bus enabled me to come in. I tried a couple of times to cycle to university. It took me an hour and a half and I was so sweaty by the time I arrived that it was like I couldn't be near people, right? <laughs> For everybody's sake. And so, you know, whereas if I was on a bus, it would take 45 minutes and, you know, that bus would take many people at once or a car, you know, generally would be taking many people at once. It wouldn't just be a single person. And so I think that although we are recognizing some of the disadvantages, I think the access it has provided at scale 
all over the world is unmatched. But Roman, let me bring you in here because Yasmin was talking about speed, but actually we've got the onset of the e-bike. So isn't that an argument to say that the bicycle now in its most modern form can surpass the car. Yeah, so I think that in terms of a personal mode of transport, the electric bike is really, you know, coming a long way. Even things like e-scooters have become really popular amongst commuters and so on. And I think my argument to Yasmin would be that you wouldn't need to travel for ages and ages if the city hadn't been designed around cars in the first place, because then we would be looking more at the sort of concept of like the 15 minute city, which is the phrase that's bandied around at the moment. Um, you'd have kind of more localized areas where you could, you know, get your food, have your restaurants, get your education, um, the shops and everything. And then you'd only need to make those longer journeys or commutes, you know, as and when you wanted to or, you know, entertainment wise or maybe you need a specialist doctor or whatever. But, you know, my argument really is that the car kind of shaped the city in that way in the first place, which then required us to commute longer distances, which then makes you reliant on cars. We'll be back after this. Do you know, it's interesting, Roma. I love driving. Like, you know, I often say to people that like on the worst day of my life, I got, I didn't even own a car, but I like hired, I rented a car. You know, there was this thing in the city that I was in where you could kind of rent your neighbor's car. I rented a, a Mini Cooper from someone down the street and I drove for like eight hours straight and it was like honestly the most meditative and it just and I love to cycle as well I've had three road bikes you know I'm not an anti-cyclist by any means but there's something about the ability to get into the vehicle at one place and walk out in another city in another language in another whatever that is just absolutely magical and the idea of the 15 minute city Sounds fine, but I don't want my life to only, I like, you know, sure, I like sort of everything being accessible within 15 minutes, but I also love, you know, being able to travel vast distances whenever I want to, being able to drive from London to the Hebrides. For me, I guess maybe it's like a personal emotional thing. Like I just feel, you know, I wrote an essay recently, which was a, a eulogy to the petrol car because I recognize that the petrol car is on its way out. But the kind of emotional relationship that I have with cars cars is nothing close to what I have with bikes. And I've, you know, been on a bicycle since I was like seven years old. Yeah. So for our listeners, we should probably explain a bit about you. You used to work on racing cars, right? I I used to work. Yeah, I feel like I've overstated my <laughs> qualification slightly. I ran my university's race car team. I was the chassis designer. And then I actually tried to get into Formula One. But Coco, I was offered an unpaid internship, a really, really good unpaid internship at Mercedes F1, but it was unpaid. And, you know, being, being from the backgrounds, the migrant backgrounds that we are, I could not afford just to swan about for a few months. So I ended up being a reporter um, in the world of F1 for, for a few years there. Okay, right. Okay. But anyway, sorry, I, Roman, let's get you in here. Yeah, I was just going to say, I love driving too. I absolutely adore it. And um, I have an electric car now and it performs brilliantly. Mm. So I can get my not to 60s and, you know, the kind of the, the slight little G-forces and all of that. Love it. <laughs> and um, I haven't cycled regularly in a while. But for me, this is where that whole debate of kind of the individual versus the betterment for society comes in. So 100%, you don't want everything 15 minutes away from you. You want to be able to leave that, absolutely. But could we not do that by train? You know, we should be having 
you know, the maglev, magnetically levitating trains that rely on magnetism and electricity, which, you know, are being experimented with around the world. So if I wanted to go to Scotland or to France or whatever, that's what I would think or suggest is the best mode of transport to do that, the most sustainable mode of transport to do that. Whereas for your everyday kind of life, the bicycle really is the answer. I mean, ultimately, it comes down to, would you rather your roads be overrun with bicycles or overrun with cars as they are today? Have you been around a pack of cyclists (laughs) like in central (laughs) London? They're they're, like, it's it's intense. It's intense. Like, I mean, the cars are bad, but the bike bicycles you can hear them be angry at you oh yeah but the air you're breathing might be slightly better i would suggest but i mean yeah, i'll allow that but the, i'll allow the, that um but i think um just just to slightly change the topic some of the impacts on society of the bicycle first coming in so in the kind of early to mid 1800s one is that we could now deliver post on a daily basis and that was not possible beforehand and then I've res- like read that vicars and nurses were able to travel a lot further to see people. So this improved people's um, health care, their access to you know religion, if that was what they were into. And there's even a biologist that argues that the gene pool in Britain improved massively after the bicycle. <laughs> wow. Um, w- which is a whole a whole other topic. Um, and I'm a relief, got- I'm sure, for many. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, And I've got um, a couple of quotes from feminists, from women who were generally massively criticised and ridiculed for sitting astride bicycles. Mm. And there was a woman called Lillian Campbell Davison, and she wrote The Handbook for Lady Cyclists in 1896 and said it was openly said that if a woman mounted a bicycle, she hopelessly unsexed herself. But a woman cyclist of the era says that she believed that the cycle allows us in a perfectly womanly manner to let ourselves go. Oh, oh, okay. (laughs) So I I know that we're on the onset of the e-revolution, both in terms of e-bicycles and in terms of, you know, e-cars, electric cars. But the fact of the pollution aspect, you know, is that not a fatal flaw in the car, like the, the, an insurmountable challenge? Yeah, listen, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna defend the pollution. I think that's a, that is not the hill you <laughs> want to die on, my that friend. That is not the hill I'm gonna die on, and I think it is, you know, a key detractor um, of or or a key um, con in the argument for the car. But I do think it's interesting looking at the advent of, you know, e-bikes. Like the average car, I think. Um, like the most efficient petrol or fossil fuel car is like 35, 40 miles per gallon, where you're looking, the Tesla is like almost 140 miles per gallon, right? So you're really looking at like magnitudes, you know, three, four times more efficient when you're talking about an electric motor. And, you know, it's funny talking about the e-bike because when I was at university in 2008, 2009, there was this guy named Owen who put a little electric motor on his bicycle and we all thought he was such an idiot. We were like, what a fool, (laughs) Owen, just bloody cycle. Honestly, he would whiz past on his little e-bike with his little bloody electric motor and we're like, whatever, Owen. And now who's laughing? You know? (laughs) Never underestimate the nerds. (laughs) Never underestimate. I know, I know, I know. Bless him. I think he's working on wind turbines now. He's got it sorted. But I mean, you know, I've got a little stat here that says a report by the European European Environment Agency suggests that emissions from battery production for electric vehicles are generally higher than those created by building an internal combustion engine vehicle. So even with the e-revolution, 
Is there any way to have a car in this world that we live in, really? So I think, Coco, the operative word is have a car. I don't know if I strongly believe in car ownership. Like, I don't own a car, haven't owned a car for a long time, but I drive quite often, but I typically either use a zip car or a share car service or whatever. And so I think that, you know, especially if you're like, especially in a big city like London, when I lived, you know, in a much, when I lived in Australia or when I lived in Sudan, where the distances are much vaster, that's a very different calculation. But like, I don't actually think we need as many cars as we have on the road. I think the obsession with ownership is a completely separate thing, like being able to have access to a car that'll take you the distances and so on, but in a way that is shared, in a way that reduces the amount of pollution um, and the amount of emissions, whether it's from batteries or from the internal combustion engine. I think that is that is the future. You know, a nice little mix. And also, you know, that feeling of just driving along with your tunes on, I just, oh, I just. There's nothing oof. like it. driving along with a podcast. I was just going like to say that. this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, but I, I actually think me and Yasmin are now coming closer together because I, I think it's that hybrid, right? It's, you know, I, I've kind of said this before is that in terms of a personal mode of transport, I feel like the bicycle needs to be it or something that doesn't create emissions. We obviously need to be cognizant of the fact that even creating a bicycle requires emissions because you need to mine metals or manufacture it and so on. So there is a carbon footprint to bicycles as well, which we can't ignore, but it is tiny in comparison to a car. So could we come to a compromise where, you know, we use the bicycle as a kind of personal everyday sort of mode of transport? The cars are kind of owned by some you know, or, or like shared by whatever group or something. And then kind of when we really need the car, then we go and access it. But, you know, w- one of my really interesting thoughts is like, my I mean, my daughter now who is going to soon be four is exposed to having a car because we've got one. But will she actually ever learn how to drive is a real question I have. Mm. Like in the, in the next 14 years, will car ownership kind of drop or even maybe... If she has children, will it be them that mm. actually never learn how to drive because driving just becomes this once in a while thing? That is happening, isn't it? My little brother didn't learn to drive until his late 20s, which I was shocked about, given that it was like as soon as I was allowed to. I was 16 <laughs> or 17 when I got my license. I couldn't, I was chomping at the bit. But also, it's, I think you're right. Learning to drive is really expensive as well. Like, I think there yeah, is a thing about quite car ownership yeah. is becoming something that is not, mm, not really more elitist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that elitism point is a really interesting one because so I you know I spent a lot of time of my childhood in Mumbai I was there from age six to 16 and you know there's a huge class aspect to it as well where you know there's Mm. only a you know even though there are so many cars in Mumbai if we actually look at what percentage of the population owns a car um, versus owns a bicycle or uses public transport or whatever else um, you know, there there is definitely an argument to be had there that the bicycle is just so much more an accessible piece of engineering and technology to people who can't afford it. Mm, well, sadly, we have run out of road. Yes, that's <laughs> right. She's doing a pun. Intelligence Squared cannot be held responsible for my puns, just to clarify that. Um, but it's not me who gets to decide the winner. That'll be you, the listeners. But before we go, one last closing pitch. Yasmin, let's start with you. Last chance. Let's tell everyone why cars are king of the road. The road wouldn't exist the way it does today without the car. Highways wouldn't have been built. You know, whatever you think about the shape of the modern city, the modern city is 
the way that it is because of the car. Entire industries have been built off the back of the automobile. Inventions from safety inventions like seatbelts to the freedom to protest, to the freedom to get around, to the freedom to turn up to a revolution in your car to get that social change that you're looking for. It all happened because of the good old automobile. And Roma, last chance, team bicycles. Um, We don't need roads in the way they exist. They blight our city. Societal change and revolution could be done on the bicycle and has been done without cars for thousands of years. Um, Ultimately, for me, it comes down to the ultimate simplicity as a piece of engineering that the bicycle is and the fact that its impact on the earth and the environment is minimal compared to cars. Can I just say one last thing? No, you can't. When You're have done. You ever looked in it's a- over. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> when have you ever looked at a bike and been like, oh, that is sexy. Oh, hell yeah. I've like, seen some sexy bikes. I mean, compared to a, com- yeah, but I mean, compared to a Lamborghini or a, you know, a Jaguar E-Type or an Aston Martin or even a Tesla. Do you know? I'm you just have, saying. You haven't seen. Obviously, you need to get out there more and, and find those sexy bikes. <laughs> they're, they're waiting for you, Yasmin. They're waiting for you. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you. <laughs> Sorry. No, stop now. Um, well, thank you, Roma Agrawal, and thank you, Yasmin Abdul Majid. We have to leave it there. One more reminder to you, our listeners, you decide. If you want to vote on whether cars or bicycles won this battle, then click the link in the podcast description to cast your vote. The poll is open and the winner will be announced in next week's episode. We'd also love to hear from you on what topics we should debate next. Email any suggestions to verses at intelligencesquared.com or tweet us at intelligence2. You've been listening to Verses, a podcast by Intelligence Squared. I'm your host, Coco Khan. This episode was produced and edited by Tom Hall. The executive producer was Farah Jassat. Thank you for listening. <laughs>